welcome back to yet another episode of the Shooting Bricks podcast. This week, it's if you haven't noticed already, this week is part two of kind of a little bit of an experiment we're trying out. But as always, I'm Jerry Castillo, and I'm joined tonight by uh, his acquaintance, Mr. Daniel Wynn. Uh, and joining us is uh, it's your boy Riley Rail Jarrell Sells, and we have a special guest on this episode. What's up, y'all? Reagan Griffin Jr. Uh, I met, I know Daniel, I know uh, Jared through USC. We, we were uh, peers at USC. I don't know Mr. Relly Rel as he's had his, he has it spelled out here on here, but um, looking forward to it, man. Thank you guys for having me on. No problem, no problem. And uh, just uh, tell us a little bit about your background, Reagan. Your favorite sports teams, favorite sports, all that jazz. No doubt. Um, all right, so I, I'm I'm a bit of a what do they call it? A nomad, right? I was born in New Jersey, Willingboro, New Jersey, moved to Georgia. That's where I really started getting into sports, right? I picked up a football at age five. And from there, I tried just about every sport from baseball to soccer, basketball, track and field. Um, but the guy, since I'm in Georgia, right, that I really fall in love with at that time, I'm seven years old, is this dude, Michael Vick. So that really put me at a really strong passion for football. I played quarterback. I always wanted to wear number seven. That was my guy. Obviously, he had the whole deal with the dog fighting. But um, at that point in time, I had my teeth sunk really deep into football. Um, after Georgia, I moved out to California. Um, obviously, that's not as football-oriented as in the South. I, I find myself getting more into basketball and track and field. Um, so from there, I, you know, I kind of went into the route of uh, – really focusing on football and basketball. I have a particular passion for track and field, but not too many people want to have conversations with me about 800-meter dashes or whatever. Um, so, yeah, man, I'm a Lakers fan. I'm an Eagles fan. Uh, Eagles fan because hey. – Are you an Eagles fan too? Eagles and Lakers fan, yes, sir. No kidding. Now, I got to ask you, man. I know yep. I'm – But I got to flip because you don't find that often, Eagles and Lakers. Absolutely not, man. Hey, like y'all are like the only two Lakers and the Eagles fan combinations I know, of. and I know a couple Cowboys and Lakers fan combinations. That's gross. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's just hopping on. <laughs> that's hopping on to like the most popular teams in the in the, in the uh, country. That's crazy, man. How'd you end up a, a Philly and a Lakers fan? So I ended up an Eagles fan because I liked Donovan McNabb. So. Oh. He was my favorite quarterback growing up. Every time I play Madden, I'm like, okay, Donovan McNabb got a little scramble to his game, got a little arm. Then he got T.O. I was like, okay, we we, we doing something big. Um, also, my favorite color is green, so I kind of just put two and two together as an eight-year-old, and I was like, yep, that's the team I'm rolling with, and I've been a fan since then. Lakers fan. Uh, I really was always into basketball, and for some reason, I think one another one of my family members was a Celtics fan, and – when the Celtics faced the Lakers the first time, I was like on the fence. I was like, oh, I don't know. I should go for the Celtics because my family goes for this. One of my family members, but like my parents are Lakers fans, yada, yada. And when the Celtics won, it just it just hurt me. Like I was like, you know what? Nah, I can't, can't <laughs> roll with them. It's Kobe all day because I always, always love Kobe. Like playing NBA Street, playing uh, NBA Live, always love Kobe. So I was like, you know what? This is marking the time. Like it, the time is now Lakers fan all day. So that was the big moment. The Lakers losing to the Celtics really like – reinforce that I'm a Lakers fan. Oh, man, I mean, the Boston Celtics are truly, are truly like a disgusting form of basketball, logos, parquets, everything about them is disgusting. Disgusting? Well, all right then, speaking. Yeah, speaking. Dis- 
Yeah, they are disgusting, man. They are. Boston, the fan base. The Boston Celtics the are, are, are the fan base. They're weird. They're weird, but they're the the whole entire brand is gross. It's it's part of the, it's part of the it's part of the evil empire. <laughs> the evil <laughs> empire. Okay, man. Okay. Well, since we're talking about basketball, anyways, let's uh let's jump right into it. I don't know if you guys saw, but Vince Carter is calling it quits after 22 years. And we're speaking of garbage. His last shot was a three-pointer in a meaningless game against the Knicks after Gobert tested positive. And, you know, it kind of it sucks that we never saw him win that chip or do something amazing in the playoffs. But I just want to ask you guys, what's your best memory of VC? Because for me personally, it was, I think, 2014 when he was with Dallas Mavericks and he hit a game-winning shot over Monte Ginobili in the left corner. So what's your guys' favorite memory of VC? Wasn't really exposed to VC as a kid. I know I should be ashamed of myself, but uh, I wasn't even watching basketball back then, but I watched YouTube clips of it, and the, the 2000 dunk contest will always strike to me. Um, solid player throughout his career. Uh, it's too bad he didn't win the chip. He could have done more if McGrady had stayed in Toronto, but... I think he's a Hall of Famer, nonetheless. Um, there's so many great dunks that we see from VC that I can't name just one. Uh, similar to Daniel, I wasn't following him as much. I knew of him, all-star, great dunker. Of course, the NBA Lives, the NBA Streets, you see VC. Um, but the one dunk that sticks to me is the one during the Olympics where I think USA didn't win the oh, gold yeah. medal. And he I, I know what you're talking about. Oh, Lord Jesus. He, that's the moment I got to choose right there. He ended that man's life on that day. I, and I he saw, had hair. Yep. You know, it, yeah. it's odd for me. Yeah, that, over Frederick Weiss. That's a great one. That, that is an absolutely great one. I can't really pick out a singular moment, but the closest proximity that I ever had to Vince Carter um, was when he played for the Grizzlies because I was living in Memphis at the same time that he was playing. And I remember there was this one season where the, the Grizz just could not catch a break, dude. Like everybody was getting hurt from a – from Marcus Saw to Mike Conley, and they end up going into the playoffs, and they they had this large chunk of the season where they were playing with like Mario Chalmers as the starting point guard, and uh, you know, and like Chris Anderson was the starting center. It was just a real ugly team, real ugly. You had Ryan Hollins as a backup center getting substantial minutes, but they were still winning games somehow because it was just so scrappy. And Vince Carter was part of that team, um, so just watching him play, and that was like the the biggest role that I've seen him add on a team since I would say that Dallas Mavericks team that ended up winning a championship. Or no, excuse me, he didn't win a championship. That, since uh, when he was on Dallas. That was the last time he had a role that substantial. Um, but it was crazy just because he, he showed flashes of, of what really spoke to me as always the, the real beauty of Vince Carter was that he adapted his game over the course of his career to where he could stay in the NBA. And he wasn't dunking on anybody. He wasn't doing all of these high-flying acrobatic stuff. But he was doing – real savvy veteran stuff to really help himself justify having minutes on that team. So um, to me, that was the real beauty of Vince Carter. The fact that he was just able to be in the league for so long and really age like a fine wine. Man. Yeah. Improve that shooting and then still have to bounce to still give you a couple of dunks. Crazy. Every so often. I mean, <laughs> I think the, uh, the biggest question will always be like, what if Tracy had stayed in Toronto and what if they had just kept going to the end? And like maybe they would have won a championship. We don't know, but that's that's always going to be the question out there. I think he had a better chance with uh, J. Kidd with the Nets. 
They could have built around nah. those two better uh, compared to Jason McGrady and Vince McCarter. They they're just similar players. They're going to put up buckets. If you would if they would have found a third option to that Nets team or build or had more uh, valuable role players, I think that would have been a better chance than pairing up VC and Tracy McGrady. You don't think he had a shot in Dallas? Oh, yeah. I'm just saying compared Toronto compared to the Nets team. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah Toronto. You got to take into account, too, Toronto back in the day was, oh, I mean, they made a few playoff runs, but they weren't that great. They were a perennial bottom feeder until they got Chris Bosh, but I mean, from VC to Chris Bosh, that was that was quite a stretch, you know. I mean, I mean, like the biggest um, success Vince Carter and Tracy McGrady did there, they they honestly were like a big part of popularizing the game in Canada and yeah. in Toronto today. Honestly, Toronto Toronto probably has like honestly, it's an underrated fan base and it belongs in the top ten of the league. Though, like t- Toronto fans are they're good fans. I'm so glad you brought that up, Daniel, because to me. Uh, I remember I was actually having this debate with a couple of my friends. We were arguing who's the greatest player in Raptors franchise history. And and one of them was saying Kyle Lowry because he was there for the ring and then he has that longevity with the franchise. Another one saying Kawhi Leonard because he was the driving force behind the only ring in franchise history. But I'm like, y'all, there's probably not Toronto, Toronto basketball in the capacity that we see it now without Vince Carter. He is the thing that made people, I mean, you talk to guys like, uh, uh, Trey Lyles, uh, Andrew Wiggins, Jamal Murray, dudes who came up literally watching Vince Carter. That's the reason why so many kids and adults even in Canada just love basketball. It's because of Vince Carter. So for me, I think that's why he's the Raptors' greatest player of all time. Man. That's his really lasting legacy. Yeah, and, and that's a good point you bring up because we know of VC's legacy in Toronto. It didn't end the way that any of any anyone in Toronto may have wanted to, but we know the impact he has on the city of Toronto and Canada as a whole. But Daniel mentioned something a little bit earlier that I want to get to is, do you guys think he's Hall of Fame worthy? Because he his numbers don't really stand out. He's an eight-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA. He's He was part of the All-Rookie team in 99. He was Rookie of the Year in 99. He's 19th all-time in scoring. And basketball reference has him at a 94.5% Hall of, Hall of Fame probability. So do you guys think that he'll eventually make it? And if so... Why? I mean, I want to first off and say, like, uh, I, I hate to go a little bit off topic here, but uh, the previous point about how like imp- how much impact he had on basketball in Canada. I mean, I go to Canada every once in a while, and uh, my young nieces and nephews don't even like hockey. So that's how far the sport has come. And that's why I think Vince Carter, at the end of the day, is a Hall of Famer. He could I think he was a championship caliber uh, player. He just wasn't on the right teams at the right time. And he helped popularize the game in a foreign country where previously it didn't have much of, of a presence. And just because of that, I think he belongs in the hall. I think, I don't know if he's a first ballot, but I think he'll eventually get there. I have to agree agree with Daniel. Uh, we have to look at Vince Carter as a game changer. There's a lot of NBA players that come into the league and end up changing the culture or bringing a culture. Like we've said, Vince Carter's brought the culture of basketball and the enthusiasm that a whole lot of fans have is because of him. There's a lot of youth that Reagan talked about, looked up to Vince Carter, right? And a lot of a lot of kids back in the early 2000s would look at Vince Carter's videos, look at what he's doing, dunking. And that was one of the hugest things, right? If we look, if we look back at it, early 2000s, we have a lot of high-flying dunkers. We got Jason Richardson, we got Vince Carter. You can even throw Kobe, Tracy McGrady in there, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade. 
dunking. Michael Finley, too. Michael Finley. All of these great dunkers. And I understand I'm not going to just say that he's just an amazing dunker. He put up points. He was one of the top top 10 scorers um, in his prime each each season for about five, six, seven seasons, right? So as a game changer, I'm I'm not saying he's at the same level as like Allen Iverson, but I just want to give you like an example. Allen Iverson comes into the league, has the tattoos, headbands, handles, this and that. Those type of players have to be mentioned in the Basketball Hall of Fame. They've changed the game. He's not Shannon Brown. Shannon Brown is a dunker. He's not Derrick Jones Jr. Derrick Jones Jr. is a dunker. He has the accolades. It's not the best, but it's enough to get him a vote, a get him a nod to get into the Hall of Fame. He was one of the league's major superstars in his prime, so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I hate to make it a, a type of show where we all agree on everything, but um, I think it speaks to the fact that it's really hard to it's harder to make a case for him not to be in the Hall of Fame than it is to say that he should be. Because when, when you look back and I, I know accolades factored into it and I know championship rings and statistics and all that. But a lot of the time, it's just a feeling that you got right from watching. I was talking about Reggie Bush on another show earlier. Um, the reason why Reggie Bush is one of the greatest USC running backs of all time, even though other dudes have better statistics, is that he's got a certain electricity from watching Reggie Bush. Same case with Vince Carter. There's just a certain electricity when you watch those highlights and you see the type of things that he could do. And it's just like, how can you not put this guy amongst the greatest you know, players of all time? And the thing that I always go back to when I start talking Hall of Fame is, can you tell the story of basketball without this person? And I don't think you can tell the story of basketball without the name Vince Carter as arguably the greatest dunker of all time as part of so many historic teams, as, as many so many iconic moments. You can't tell that story without throwing Vince Carter in there, not to mention all the things we just talked about with his being the really driving force behind establishing basketball in Toronto. You can't tell a basketball story without uh, Vince Carter. So for that reason, got to be in the Hall of Fame. Hey, I just wanted to point out Reggie Bush is the reason why I got into football in the first place. But yeah, sorry. It's a little off topic. Yeah, and totally fine, totally fine. And Reagan, you speak about the story of basketball, and the current story of basketball isn't that great because, you know, Bradley Beal isn't playing due to a shoulder injury. Dinwiddie's out because of another positive COVID test. Mike D'Antoni doesn't know if he's going to go to Orlando because he's 69 years old. Mm. But <sighs> there are people who... Man, it's a <laughs> show. Hey, damn. I mean... <laughs> Daniel, Reggie Bush is the reason I got into the Kardashian. Okay. Wow. Wow. That's – yeah, I, I kind of forgot that he was dating Kim for a while. All right, let's 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 get back to the sports. My bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just turn the wheel back around because we're talking about the story of the NBA. But, um, yeah, no, like multiple team facilities have been closing because of positive COVID tests. And there's just so much to talk about. I mean – We've all seen the food at the bubble. Doesn't look that great. Oh my god, I've seen I've seen those photos, man. It's aside from LeBron. I put yeah, LeBron aside from LeBron, and, and we're <laughs> it, it it like I could hear Gordon Ramsay like getting like shouting up to the rooftop right now, like huh. seeing that photo of food. But there are there are some good things to to take out of this because you know Dwight Howard is playing and he's donating his checks. Patty Mills is donating his salary earned in Orlando to social justice causes in Australia. And Jamal Crawford is joining the Nets, according to Sham Sharania of The Athletic. So with all of these things going on, what do you guys take out of the situation the NBA finds itself in? Personally, it could potentially be messy. Um, I hate to bring in another league in there, but um, MLS is 
is also playing as well. And they just had to scrap a whole team because 10 people on the same team tested positive for COVID. And as Dallas we all, FC, right? Uh, FC Dallas. So they had to be, MLS literally had to kick a team out of the tournament. And it, it looks like that another team, Nashville, could follow suit. But back to the NBA. I mean, the NBA has been experiencing the same thing. A bunch of players are testing positive for the virus. So, I mean, I mean, if the cases keep going up and, you know, I mean, the league could potentially be put in a tough spot here. Yeah. It, it's going it's gonna to have to happen. They're not – they're going to have to try. It's it's bound to happen regardless. There's so many people in this bubble. It's just going to – we're just going to have to roll with it. We're going to have to roll with the punches. It, I, it, it sucks to say that. On a positive note, I'm glad to see that players are donating their funds to a to to social justice. To they're showcasing that they're they're there to help. This is what they're going to do. I'm going to play, but my money is going towards this. I'm I'm also seeing things on social media about putting like positive words towards social justice movements on their jerseys, and I applaud that. If we're if we're going to have basketball this end of the summer, they might as well continue to push this movement because that's ultimately what they're trying to do. It's not going to stop until everybody gets sick. I, I, part of me wishes that they would do a little bit more than just having, you know, Black Lives Matter on the court and allowing the players to put things on the back of their jerseys. It feels a little bit, you know, optics driven rather than actual tangible, you know, the players donating their money. That's great. I mean, that, that's that's one of the best things that you could do. But from an NBA standpoint, I feel like more could be done on their end. An idea that I had was just thinking about um, you guys know how when you play 2K, I don't know if any of you guys play 2K, but you play in like the, the middle, the cut scenes. Um, they'd have like the player doing the interview and it's like, you really don't want to see it, but you have to watch it because they don't allow you to, to click through it or whatever. Um, yeah. Doing those little like breaks in the game. I think that you, that's opportunity to have, you know, have, you have all these players collectively in one area, you have camera crews, you have the means of holding some sort of like powwow or um, forum for these guys to express what clearly, I mean, dudes in the league have concerns. You have dudes like Kyrie Irving, Malcolm Brogdon, Jalen Brown. These dudes are well-versed in what's going on and they want to speak on these things. Let them have that platform and allow that thing to, you know, let people watch it during the NBA game. That way they're not able to just use basketball as a diversion, right, but actually force them to sit in what's a very important social moment right now. The biggest fear that I have is that people just use basketball as an escape from everything, and I think it's it's pertinent that we don't allow that to be the case and i think you know the nba could be doing a little bit more to making people conscious of the social moment that we're in right now instead of just optics driven so i brought this i brought this up in a previous podcast where during those interviews okay lebron james scores 25 points gets his triple double he also brings out a message about what cause or what social justice he's trying to fight for i mm-hmm. totally agree and love that idea of during these moments where basketball isn't taking place while they're on camera that they use that platform to stand up maybe before the game they um they kneel maybe before the game we have a moment of silence maybe before the game we name out some of the victims that have been lost their lives through due to racism so just taking advantage of every opportunity they can and also Kyrie Irving and all the other players that are forming these groups and aren't heading out to Orlando can be those players that are getting these messages out sort of like how the NFL did with Patrick Mahomes um, and they made that video 
they can yeah. do these videos and we can use these as commercials instead of showing commercials about what you can find at your nearest Nike store or uh, what toys to buy on uh, Toys R Us. I don't know. I don't watch regular TV anymore, so I don't even know what commercials come on. Show show what's going on in society. I know it's going to be tough because, you know, media is controlled by the 1%, yada, yada, this and that. But this is our opportunity. If NBA has the runtime and they have a say in what commercials are being shown, this is the platform to use it. Of course, o- older folks are going to be watching commercials anyway because what are they doing? There it is. I mean, like, kind of, kind of, really get where you're coming from, Jarrell. I think if the NBA wanted to do something like what you're stating, they it's this is the best opportunity because they're literally on a television set right now. It's this little, it's like a, it's like a mini hotel. It's it's actually a a, a big ass TV set. So I mean, this is the like I said before, this is the best opportunity they can do to do some of these messaging that you're speaking of. Going off of that point, the WNBA actually announced with the WNBA, NBPA, excuse me, announced that this season will be formally dedicated to social justice and they have multiple on and off court initiatives just for that. Um, their opening day weekends, actual weekend uniforms will actually feature Brianna Taylor's name. So those are just a little bit of what the NBA can take from the WNBA because they seem, even though they're a smaller league, they seem to have a better grasp of what to do, right? I'm kind of impressed what the WNBA has done, and it, this kind of shows you how the league is pretty well managed. I yeah. mean, absolutely. They they have to be a community because look at all of the backlash they get from everybody outside the WNBA that's not named Kobe Bryant. Yeah. yeah. You know, Sadly, yeah. Yeah, sad. It, it is. Anyone in this country that can understand uh, prejudice and, and discrimination, it's black women. And that's primarily who you find in the WNBA. So it doesn't surprise me at all that they're among the sports leagues, probably the most conscious in, in in terms of how they're stepping forward to address this situation. If anyone knows what to do right now, it's black women. So, you know, if anything, other leagues should be following their lead. Shout out to black women. Shout out black women. Man. Right. And yeah. Reagan, that's another great segue because you talk about prejudice. One of the, one of the, WNBA owners uh, of the Atlanta Dream. Her name is uh, Kelly Loeffler. Effler, Kelly Loeffler. Excuse me. Totally butchering that name. She's a, a senator from Georgia, and she was urging the WNBA to reconsider its decision to allow players to put Black Lives Matter on their warm-up jerseys, suggesting American flags should be put on their jerseys instead, according to Axios. And I just want to get all your guys' take on this. Candace Parker said that there is no place in the league for her, quote. And the WNBPA tweeted out the story of her opposition to the Jersey plan, along with the caption, enough, out. And so I just want to get your guys' take on this. What do you think of this Republican senator's decision to stand against the Black Lives Matter movement? Firstly, I think it's all I'm going to really say is that this is just another example of someone on the other side not really understanding what the other side is trying to say and i mean she's this is proof that she's completely misunderstanding like the pro the protests and why they have been happening in the last few months i mean this is just just shows that she lacks knowledge on what's going on around her i'm I'm gonna take it a step further daniel because i'm not i'm i'm a little bit more hesitant on giving her the benefit of the doubt of ignorance 
I think she knows exactly what she's doing when she says, let's not put Breonna Taylor's name on the back of the jerseys, let's put an American flag instead. And I think that she's trying to operate in opposition to the Black Lives Matter movement because she is in opposition to the Black Lives Matter movement. I don't give her the, the, the benefit of the doubt at all. I, I think that she knew what she was doing, and I think the WNPA, if I'm saying that right, um, they, they, they... Reagan, have, like, I think... Go ahead. I, I think there's, there's some... Sorry to interrupt. I, I didn't mean to be rude there, but um, this is kind of proof that, you know, I dare to say this, but, you know, it's kind of proof that this person kind of has a racist mentality to her. And this is this is beyond proof of that. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. That's why I say I, I don't give her the benefit. I think it's 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 just showing the true colors. It's showing a divide. Just look at it like this. You, you're clearly showing that you're not a part of this family. If there's an issue that is is directly affecting me as a person and you can't understand it or acknowledge it to better the situation or help me feel better that that's a divide to me and and ultimately these they're all a part of the same organization so i'm looking at you like my second cousin that i've never seen in my life before because you you you're acting weird you're acting distant I don't want to touch too much on that because I think you guys kind of handled that. But I just wanted to say shout out to Candace Parker. She's so fine. And she I, I totally agree with her quote. There's no place for her in the league. Like Reagan said, there's predominantly black women in this league. And for you to be a part owner of this team that is predominantly, I don't know, uh, black uh, predominantly has black women on the team. And to not acknowledge it, it's, it's, it's ignorance. It's showing your true colors. It's a divide. And like Candace Parker said, there's no place for her in the league. I mean, let me say. I mean, let me say this again. I mean, uh, some people just don't understand it. the The Colin Kaepernick protest was never about the flag, and yeah, this is this is more like this is more to this is more like further proof that some people just take it the wrong way. I I, just, I was going to close with saying my question for this individual would be what is more unifying about the American flag than would be unifying about what was a wrongful death in Breonna Taylor's? Why is one more unifying than the other? You know what I mean? What about what? Why should we do one and not the other? It speaks to the, the lack of awareness of the situation, right? We're always saying, read the room, read the room. But in this instance, it's like the American flag as it stands right now, isn't more unifying. If, if I want to say something controversial like that, as it stands right now, it's more divisive than anything. Unfortunately, so I, 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 I do agree with you, Jared. Yeah, hundred percent. So, yeah, and so I don't, I don't understand how that would potentially help the situation. If anything, it'd make the situation worse because it, it would dissuade players from playing. Especially if you're a player for the Atlanta Dream, what do you do in this situation? Are you going to sit out the rest of, you know, the season or something, or what? What does the WNBPA do to combat the situation? We don't we don't really know because there, this situation hasn't happened yet. This this situation is one of those things where we don't know. Nobody knows what to do. So doing something like that that's just dividing people more more than anything. It's it, there's a quote that one of my favorite rapper Montana Three Hundred says. It's, he says, "Why stand for a flag when they hope we fall in a jail or a grave?" where they could put us all. I probably botched the ending of that, but that that just speaks volumes. Like, you know, like, it, it sucks, but there has to be a stand, you know? Uh, the president could get voted out. It, it was an attempt. It didn't happen. But if a president could get voted out of office, I think a part owner of a team can get voted out of her ownership. I mean, Bye. 
question. Definitely agreed. I mean, we, we, we saw, I mean, of course, voters can, owners can get voted out. And we saw it on the NBA side. So it can definitely happen here. Yeah. And we'll keep a, a close eye on this, on this situation, see what happens, see what sticks and see what doesn't happen. But something that has happened was that the WNBA players started coming to the IMG Academy in Florida. And I don't know if you guys saw the pictures, but they're not great. They found worms next to their beds. They found mousetraps and laundry rooms. They've got bathtubs that won't drain. Overall, it's not a good look. And even Stephen A. Smith had to say something about it because that's just a really, really bad sight. You know, you would think a lot of these professional sports leagues, even the lower uh, money, lower money making ones, would have enough money. You know, put your players in at least a comfortable place. You know, eat, sleep. But it, th- this is just like, like even the NBA and like it, they're they're not doing a, it, they're not off to a great start. So I don't I don't get what's going on here. Like, what? Why are why are players being put into bad environments when these sports leagues are making millions and billions every year? Absolutely pitiful, man. Absolutely pitiful to have those women in those sorts of conditions. I mean, you guys have all seen the videos. It's disgusting. It's like if we're we're going to distract these people from their lives, from their families, from their kids, and say we need you to be in a bubble and only play basketball, the least we could do is put them in comfortable living conditions. Meanwhile, you have these women up in a Motel 6, essentially. Like, it's disgusting, man. It is. You, yeah, I would not go live in a place like that. I'm sure you guys would not go live in a place like that. I'm currently looking for housing right now. If I walked for a, if I was touring a place and it looked like that, I'm walking right out. I'm not even discussing a lease. Like, come on, man. We, we have to be better. We have to be better. The sad part is, it's, this, this is what they've been experiencing. Maybe not to this high of degree, but they've been experiencing this. I've seen videos because um, I have a friend that uh, played basketball in college, collegiate. She's a, she's a woman as a, she's a woman as well, and she really advocates for the uh, WNBA. Like uh, she knows all the stats. She'll have a conversation with her about it, and she would post these videos of like their flights getting canceled and them having uh, WNBA players having to take uh, the bus to get to the next stadium to play. And these conditions for, pre- for professional athletes is. It's outdated for sure, <laughs> for one, and it's 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 not fair. So who whoever these owners are, because in all honesty, this is your family. Like if I'm an owner of this team and I'm that one percent that's putting my money into this organization, I can help my people out, right? All these m- millionaires, billionaires that are owning teams can put money into their organization to for for the better. I'm not saying for salary cap, but for a fucking hotel. How hard is that? If I'm the owner and I'm seeing my players, my family members going through this shit, that's that's an issue for me. Like there needs to be some collective of that one percent of ownership that comes together and and betters this situation because we keep seeing this shit and nothing is changing and it's becoming a trend that we're just seeing throughout society, not only with people of color but women uh, as well. And they've been experiencing this for I don't know how long. So it's it's enough of just uh, saying it and seeing it on social media. Now it's time for mother to make a change because I mean. More- I mean, this. I mean, like what you said there, Jarrell was right. I mean, the WNBA and like women's professional sports, like, I mean, for much of its history, I mean, well, okay, I don't know about much of it. But, I mean, almost its entire history has been, let's be honest, been treated dirt poor, treated like, shit. and this is this is like the height of it. And you know, I mean, it's the height of this kind of weird abusive relationship, like women's professional sports has 
been experiencing compared to their male counterparts. No doubt. No doubt, man. It, it, it's, it's bad. And I, I remember it, it, it's not too long ago where I was never of the camp of looking at WNBA basketball and discounting it as not real basketball, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit up here and assert that I knew a ton about it. Um, first time I went to a WNBA game was actually, I think the summer in between my junior and senior years of high school, I was at a summer camp. They took us to a WNBA game. I didn't know what to expect. And it was the sparks and we saw Candace Parker and that night forever changed. It, it, it nipped in the bud. Any doubt that I ever had, that WNBA basketball was great basketball to watch. It was every bit as entertaining as, uh, you know, a lot of college basketball games I've went to and even some NBA basketball games that I've been to because the Jerseys have had some ugly years. And that game in itself, man, I was excited. I had fun. It, it was a great, ex great fan experience. And I frankly don't understand why people still want to look at these women and act like they're not actually playing basketball at a high level, man. It's frustrating. It, it has to stop. I covered women's basketball at Long Beach State and USC, and the women's basketball teams, they don't have the athleticism, obviously, but they have the smarts, they have everything else that the men's basketball team has, and dare I say, they're more, they're more impressive to watch because they have to, they have to be smarter, right? They have to know the angles better. They have to, basically, be more fundamentally sound than the guys because sometimes guys just go off on their, on their athleticism. And sometimes that's what makes men's basketball not as fun to watch because the fundamentals aren't there. You know, you can't, you, you see this guy, he can't even do like a, a post spin move or something. He can't do post moves. His hands are too small, but he could dunk. He can jump real high. What you guys are saying is, I agree 100%. Women's basketball, it's still basketball. These people are 100%, well, I wouldn't say 100, but like 99% better than everyone else. So I don't see why we're. I mean, exactly bring them down a peg just because what they're women it doesn't and, make sense and, in all honesty if you look at how they play and i'm just saying the teams in general i coach basketball i coach uh kids ages five through 16 right and the way that they run their offenses and defenses is far more disciplined than any other comparing it to the dude to guys for the most part like we can look at greg popovich's uh offense and see that it's it's a it's a nice running offense we look at phil jackson's triangle offense but when you look at women's basketball and you see the discipline within running a specific play that's beauty within basketball i understand there's flashes and showtime and crossovers and doing amazing things and i'm not trying to state that to say that WNBA is boring because it's not it gets it gets you excited if you are a basketball head if you can see the beauty in running a play or doing this doing that and they can do um like jared said the fundamental things and still does something flashy a lot of people don't watch basketball like that they just watch it like oh i just want to see Kyrie ever do this do that but there's beauty within it it's it's art itself so if you can't see the the beauty in the art of WNBA, you don't i don't i can't talk to you as a basketball head like that's confusing to me i mean to be completely honest with you jarell on, like fundamentals has been kind of like you can argue fundamentals has kind of been lacking in in like the most in the most recent generations of ball players. So you know you know I, uh, I mean the, I, the best the best the best basketball players have fundamentals. The the all stars the all NBA players even if they have the raw talent they develop those fundamentals and that's what makes them great. Giannis Antetokounmpo. I understand he can't shoot for shit, yet he's worked on his footwork to be able to dominate in the paint, lead the league in scoring in the paint, and be a, a 
in my opinion, two-time MVP. That's just somebody that's in the league right now. Steph Curry. I understand he has the flashy handles, but it all started off those fundamentals, being able to dri- dribble the ball with left and right. I don't care. You could be Derrick Jones Jr. You're going to be garbage. You can be these players that can just jump. You're going to be garbage. You can be a player that can do one thing. You're going to be garbage. No offense. J.J. Redick is a lot. He's a lights out shooter. What the f- does he do? He comes off of screens. He plants his feet. He gets into that motion. Fundamentals. That's what's going to make you stay. And the players that don't have this sh- don't go anywhere. Yep. Fair. Fair. The, the, the co- basketball coach, very passionate about his fundamentals, man. I like that. But uh, you're 100% Absolutely. right. Absolutely. 100% right. I, I, I do. I mean, would you agree, Jarrell, that I, I, I'm saying I kind of said that because, you know, I, I miss the back to the basket, big man. Like, I miss the days of Andrew Bynum. Oh, that's and, gone. like, we, mean, ca- we kind of, we kind of, see, like, I, that's, that was what I was trying to refer, like, to refer to, but yes. There's still some of that in the NBA. It's just not as, it's not as heavy. Like Joel Embiid, Lamarcus Aldridge, throwback players. Joel Embiid will give you a face up, but he'll he'll back down. He'll he'll he will back you down. Nikolai uh, Jokic, Jokic, he does the same Jokic. thing. He faced up, he posts up, and he'll post you up in a high low post and throw a behind the back pass. It's still present in the game. You, in all honesty, you're not going to be an all star center if you can't still if you can't back down somebody, put them in a the post. Even Dirk Nowitzki was a great three point shooter. He will still post you up. Name me a center in the league that has made it to the All-Star game that can't do one f***ing post move. Rudy Gobert. I just that's, want to throw that that's one. Good... <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. Okay, uh, that's one. That's one. But f*** him. He's garbage. <laughs> and he should have made it. All the reason why he made it because he was crying. 7'2", 7'9", 7'9", wingspan? I mean, hey, me, best me, defensive me. player of the year because he shut down the NBA. Uh, you, yeah, he yeah, still should have been awesome. That's forever going to be a bad look. It is. <laughs> yeah. Hey, speaking of uh, things that may not be bad looks, Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes have reached a 10-year, $503 million deal that keeps him in Kansas City until 2031, according to ESPN's Adam Schefter. So my first reaction to that, and I'll get your guys' take in a second here, but my first reaction to that is, what? Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, What? I mean, okay, I'm going to be honest. I had mixed feelings at first, but at the end, given the talent level of Patrick Mahomes and given how the NFL, I mean, it's always been a quarterback league, but it's more so now than ever before. I I would say I completely understand why Kansas City did this. I mean, like, you see like you see a, the potential, the, the ceiling Patrick Mahomes has, and you say, like, you know, you – I kind of understand. You kind of you have to lock him up, and you know that giving him that ten year contract, yeah, it did the move. So I mean, I what what the f- no? You don't do this, <laughs> shit, bro. You can lock him into a four or five year deal. You do you see how injury prone quarterbacks are nowadays? Mother, f- you just locked them in for ten f-ing years. This dude could get injured next year and be injury prone. And guess what? But but this no. guy is Patrick Mahomes, and he's already I, had I, injury. I think he can with with proper protection, proper fitness. And he's and I think with the proper, with um, but he can he can always change his game as he ages. I'm with Dan as he ages. There there it's are a certain- special talent. You got to lock him up. Oh yeah, you and can lock him right. up, but it doesn't have to be a baseball contract. Ten years. There are very few 
in um in, in sports history, right? And, and they come around every so often. Your Michael Jordans, your LeBron James, your uh, I don't know much about baseball, but I think Mike Trout is probably one. But there are certain generational players that warrant a blank check. And what I mean by blank check is here's the check. You write whatever dollar amount you want, and that's what we're going to be willing to pay you because you're that fucking good. And that's Patrick Mahomes to me. That arm talent, man, and I know there's always going to be the risk of running an injury, but I think where the Chiefs really won here is that they locked him up for this long, and yeah, that dollar amount looks very large right now, but six years down the line, by the way the NFL cap has been trending, he's not good. He's going to be getting underpaid because when you got dudes like Dak coming up and you got dudes like Deshaun Watson, obviously they won't get paid more. But years down the line, as the salary cap increases, I think it's going to be it's very reasonable that we see Patrick Mahomes outside of the top five quarterbacks getting paid. So it's um I don't know, man. I think the Chiefs kind of won here because if I'm Patrick Mahomes' guy. I'm telling them I want my uh sal- or my salary to be attached to the percentage of the salary cap. I want 15 20% of the salary cap no matter what it is. That way you always have that definitive fluctuating amount, right? But now since it's 45 million a year or about or 50 million a year, I'm not sure exactly what the dollar amount is, but now that it's kind of that set number as the salary cap increases, now you're looking at, you know, what could be a favorable deal down the line as you still have the best quarterback in the NFL for the foreseeable future, Patrick Mahomes. So I'm with Dan here, man. I think that, I think, the by Chiefs the way, are- by the way, this, this pa- Patrick Mahomes, you got to remember, he's some are already calling him, giving him goat potential. Okay. And he's guaranteed for the next seven, 10 years to be the, in the top echelon or even be like regarded as the best quarterback in the NFL by far. And I think he could, I think he, in, in you know, if you're going to compare longevity I mean, with Patrick Mahomes and, like, a Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes is going to play way more longer than a Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is, I mean, like, with the way he plays, Lamar Jackson is going to, the most he can go to is his early 30s at least. Patrick Mahomes, if he can keep his body steady, adopt his game for the long haul, you know, eat right, treat it, do what Tom Brady did, Patrick <laughs> Mahomes can play up until he's 40, okay? okay. That's a- you, 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 hit, you hit a huge point for me, my guy, that word. That word, that two-letter yeah. word, yeah. if, <laughs> if the NFL is the most, it's, it's, you can't call that shit. I'm sorry. It's, it's so, you, you can't, you can't. With the, the work ethic with Mahomes, you can't, you I'm, I'm damn sure that he's going to die. You can't make that prediction. I'm sorry. There's been countless players that come into the NFL. Chris Johnson came into the league, got the 2,000 yards rushing in a single season. We thought he was going to be the best running back ever. 99 overall Madden. What happened to him? That Listen, ain't Apple, Apple, not, don't get me wrong. You know, like I know Patrick Mahomes is a different caliber of talent. That's a you different Don't get me wrong. We're talking don't about. get me wrong. Patrick it's, it's Mahomes Apple. is an amazing player. Patrick Mahomes is an amazing player. He's showing that quote unquote goat potential. All I'm saying is this is overdoing it. 10, 10 years, $500 million for Patrick Mahomes is overdoing it to me. This, if, if we're gonna talk about uh securing that bag, securing the contract, this is giving me vibes with Scottie Pippen. They the Bulls gave him that seven-year contract. Over time, he's gonna see as if he's getting underpaid. Yep. I, I just don't think 10 years was the, the option. This isn't this is absurd. Of course, I'm gonna feel some type of way because I don't think we've experienced this in the NFL. Baseball, okay, cool. Do what you gotta do. Baseball players, longevity. NFL players, what is the average? career span for an NFL player, especially mm-hmm. a quarterback. That is mobile. Give him what he wants. I understand. 
but you also got to think about your organization. There might come to, there might be a time where Patrick Mahomes is making all this money for their salary crap, and they're not going to be able to re-sign players like uh -uh, Tyreek Hill. I'm just saying, I'm just giving an example. Now you're depleting your 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 team, and just relying on a, an amazing quarterback. Where is our future at? All I'm saying is, ten years is not a, is it's way too much. Four to five years would have been solid for me, and then re-sign him again because you never know he might get injured, and you're. F no, I mean, I, I just wanted to to put this into context a little bit. The annual average contract value. He's second behind Damian Lillard with $49 million. Patrick Mahomes is making $45 million. Garrett Cole is making thirty six, And then Connor McDavid of the NHL is making twelve point five. So he's technically the second highest highest paid athlete in the United States. So plus 10 years is a really long time. You don't know what's going to happen in 10 years. At the end of that contract, I'm be 29 years old. <laughs> I'm be almost. I'm be going on thirty. That's just crazy to think about. Um, that's what I'm saying, bro. I'm gonna be thirty three. Yeah, that's that's, <laughs> some, that's a wild thought. Bro. Five years, cool, right? Like when you have a generational talent, like you do, that's the risk that I feel like you take. That's even when you run the risk of saying we can't build a team around this guy, like like you won't be able to re-sign the Travis Kelseys or the Chris Jones or the Tyreek Hills or the Sammy Watkins. That's the risk that you take because Patrick Mahomes is just that good. It might not take a, a Tyree Kill and a Travis Kelsey. I think Patrick Mahomes can do it with a Miko Hardman and a, who's the kid out of um, Washington that did really well this year, um, the wide receiver. I forget his name, but I think uh, Patrick Mahomes can feasibly do this with guys that aren't you know the top tier receivers in the league just because he's that talented. We we haven't seen we haven't seen that. There's a lot of ifs. I want to see it. I know Tom Brady can make a uh, a so so named wide receiver into a Pro Bowler. I have yet to see that with uh, Patrick Mahomes. He's come in with a group of amazing offensive weapons. I have yet to see him be placed with somebody trash. I'm not trying to take away from him, but we can't, that's that's just a lot of ifs for me, man. I, I can't. Uh, I, can't uh, and I, understand, I understand that, but let me ask you just to use your better judgment. Do you think he would be able to? <laughs> right? uh, I, I think so. I think yeah. so, but I still yeah. want to see it. That's the question you got. I still want to see it. But there's a lot, there's a lot of factors that are just going against it. A mobile quarterback, he's got injured before in 10 years. That's just that's just wild to me. I'm I mean, not trying to take away from his greatness. He is a great quarterback. I wish I, I'm not gonna say all that. But <laughs> if we had if the Eagles would have drafted him, I'll probably be saying something different. If I you, you never know. Hey man, you, you I mean taking risks. <laughs> Carson Wentz, that's that's the real risk because Carson Wentz is it's tough to get that boy through a season, but you know, Patrick Mahomes, I have a little bit more confidence in his body. I've seen him protect himself a little bit better. Yeah. With that being said, you guys talked about mobile quarterbacks and Cam Newton, a favorite, I guess, here on the show, yeah, got is. signed by the Patriots. So what do you guys think? Will the Patriots have a successful season? And do you think he will have a comeback season too? Look, me and Reagan had a little spot the other day. I will break out the. I have it right here on my hip. I will break out the thesaurus, man. I'll do it. He said he got that thing glued. <laughs> he's ready. Look, Cam Newton is not. He's he's not a bad quarterback. He's fine. He's fine. But I don't think I don't think this is a groundbreaking signing. Honestly, it, it's it's good for the Patriots. They got a QB, but I think the Patriots are going to end up with a nine and seven record. Cam Newton is going to be average at best. Okay, there's going to be a long adjustment period to this. He's coming from, you know, the system from Carolina that was built around him, and he's going to New England to a system that was built around Tom Brady. Okay, there's going to be an adjustment period to this. Okay, and like, I mean, 
this is like it's going to be a new relationship between him and Bill Belichick, who who's not really a player's like a player's coach. And at the end of the day, there's going to be I just feel like there's going to be a lot of adjustment to do. And plus, you got to worry about injuries, all right? I don't think the the Pats are going to have a run based offense. We know Bill Belichick can adapt, but he's it's not necessarily he, Bill Belichick is not going to necessarily make a run based offense around him, given his injury history. And and like at the end of the day, I think. Cam will be okay, but maybe a playoff appearance, but certainly no Super Bowl. Uh, I just want to say I I called it. I called this. I said Cam Newton will get signed before Kaepernick, and I just wanted to make that note. Daniel, this might be Cam's comeback. This is his opportunity. Oh, man. He hasn't been the same since that 2015 Super Bowl 50 run, okay? It's it's literally five years. You realize that, dude, that's just like a wrong statement. Like, that's not true. 2018, before he had the shoulder injury, he was playing some of the best football of his career. And you got to think, this is a change of scenery. Some quarterbacks fare well when they go to a different team. <clears throat> Hits Michael Vick, Drew Brees. You never know. Cam Newton has proved to be a Pro Bowl quarterback. I'm not going to say he's going to come out here and get an MVP, but to say that he's not going to fare well, especially all the motivational videos that he's been showing us, I think I'm he'll fare he'll he'll okay. It, it's... It's, I mean, if anything, this is, this kind of, it's, they're not, okay, they're not the same, they're not the same player. They're very different players. But this is going to end up like the Brett Favre situation in New York, where like, they both kind of had average years. They end up like eight and eight or nine and seven. They may, maybe, depending on what other teams do, they may, may, they may or may not end up in the playoffs. But it's, it's like, maybe it could be like a one year spell. I mean, oh. isn't it already a one-year spell? It's like a one-year contract. So. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a one-year contract. It's going to be that weird one-year thing where, like, nothing special really happened. Are we factoring in coaching? Because we can compare so. the Patriots, Patriots to the Spurs, you know? They stay relevant. When's the last time the Patriots haven't been relevant? The, the, the Patriots are lacking receivers, and they don't have a tight end. Something they kind of had in Carolina. Here, here's where here's where I get screwed up when, when the idea of Cam Newton not having a good season. A lot of people like to assert that Cam Newton somehow stepping into an offense that's going to be unfamiliar to him or not tailored to him or, or something like that, and that's just flat wrong. Because, and I told you this before, Daniel, the last time Cam Newton played great football, 2018, before his shoulder injury, he was dealing with a new offensive coordinator. North Turner. North Turner came in and he decided to emphasize because Carolina was similar to New England right now, depleted of receiving talent, they had to emphasize short, quick passes. These are timing routes. These are quick slants. These are hitch routes. You want to get the ball out of your hands quickly as possible. It's timing routes, right? That's exactly what they do in New England, man. It's going to work perfectly for Cam Newton, assuming that he's healthy, which I believe that he is. He's had plenty of time to get recuperated and rested in 100%. I think the dude's going to be healthy. So now what you're essentially doing is plugging a healthy Cam Newton into a system that he's already comfortable with, with the added benefit of being able to make plays off schedule, something that Tom Brady could never do, man. That offense is going to be 100% better than it was the previous season with Tom Brady, who was on the back end of his career. It's going to be better, and then you already have the added benefit of one of the best defenses in the NFL and the best coach in NFL history. Come on, man. That's a playoff team if I've ever seen it. On top of that, they stay with a good offensive line to protect Tom Brady. Now they got to protect Cam Newton. 
Hey man, I, that's I, a I, deep I, sigh. I will, I will take, I will, I will talk about Cam Newton all day long, man. That that dude is, he has a certain fire about him. He's always had. It. I watched this dude when he was in Auburn. That's when I really fell in love with his game. But he's always carried this competitive fire about him. In this past year and a half of being doubted and taped, essentially saw, tossed aside by the NFL, you better believe that's fueling that fire right now. He's coming back with a vengeance, man, because of people like you, Daniel. People like you have been down this man's game for a year and a half now. He's coming back with a vengeance. I guarantee you that first touchdown that he throws, he's thinking about dudes like you. I promise you he's coming back with a vengeance, and he's going to make y'all eat crow. Wow. All right. All right. A... All right. Well, if there's nothing else to add with that. I, <laughs> I got Baltimore I just... winning the Super Bowl this year. Oh, I got... Lord. I ain't mad at that. All right. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, anything else to add before we head to the to our last topic here? I'm chilling, man. I said my piece. I don't think I want to get in between this. <laughs> All right. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so we've been talking about, you know, coming back with a vengeance. And the MLB, their schedule dropped. And on July 23rd, it's going to be the Yankees and the Nationals and then the Giants and the Dodgers. And that's all nice and all, but a ton of players are actually opting out because they just feel like it's not safe or they want to focus on different matters. Uh, Ian Desmond isn't playing. David Price isn't playing. And... What's interesting about that is those two players, they opted out because they wanted to keep their family safe. But I've been reading reports of how some players don't really think or care about the safety precautions because of COVID. And they just don't really see the need of why everything is happening the way that it is. And with the 60-game sprint that the MLB is having, you guys have any thoughts on that? I mean, regardless, I said this maybe a couple episodes ago, but I think regardless if they play or not, I think the PR nightmare, Major League Baseball, between the owners and players they put themselves in, I mean, that the damage is done, and, you I mean, the popularity will have a, will experience a, a more accelerated decline as in the years to come. The 60-game season, baseball has had too many games in the past, so this could help them, but I, I don't know what's going to help baseball at this point. I have the same thoughts I've been having throughout this whole fiasco. Confusion, it's unorganized. I'm more disengaged than ever already. I'm, I'm with you, man. I've never been engaged with baseball. Um, I will say this is the most interesting period that I've ever observed baseball in just because of the, the lack of a clear direction. But I could frankly care less. The Yankees are my pick just because that's one of the three teams that I know. So... <laughs> I, I guess I, I really don't have a whole lot to do man. Baseball is that weird sport that, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of, but yet I know how it functions because, you know, I used to play, kind of still do, play MLB, the show for fun, and I have a brother that's a baseball fan. So if I had to pick anyone to win it, despite losing David Price, I think the addition of Mookie Betts is enough to propel the Dodgers to win the World Series. So I'm going to pick the Dodgers to win the World, the World Series. Well, then we, it seems that we are at an impasse, my friend, because as a Cardinal fan, I will heavily go against what you said, and I will choose the St. Louis Cardinals. So, so go Cards. But um, yeah, with that being said, I just want to get your guys' take on this. Um, the NPB, Japan's baseball league and the second best league in the world, 
will actually have fans in the stands starting Friday, according to USA Today. Uh, they're going to have about a 5,000-person max capacity or 50% of fans, whichever is smaller. And the KBO is working with the Korean CDC to get fans back in the stands. And Daniel Kim on ESPN said that around 20 to 30% of fans are allowed to go. So I posit the question to you guys. With these Asian countries showing that they can put a damper on COVID and have fans as early as this Friday, what does that tell you about the way that the United States has been dealing with the COVID situation, especially coming from a sports lens? I mean, this kind of shows that um, the re- the way the rest of the world has handled it is has been significantly more affected than that of the United States. The only reason this is happening in places like Korea and Japan is that they have handled the, the situation far better than us here. And just because they're doing it doesn't mean it will come here. And I think it shouldn't because we, because the situation here is getting much worse. So this 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 is what the situation that's all really tells me. I mean, I agree with Daniel. My first thoughts when you when you stated this was, what what, be safe about it. But I mean, if they're in a better situation than we are, do what you got to do. You, the USA has been up everything else. Yeah, they, they, they've clearly taken the, the necessary steps and they are just in ahead of the curve. And simply put, they, they have a better situation than we have here in the U.S. And it's sad when I see stuff on, on, on news and it'd be like, you know, Florida plans to open up schools and Donald Trump plans to um, defund the education system if schools don't open back up, things of that nature. It's almost like trying to put a square block into a circular hole. It's like the U.S. wants to open up so bad, but it hasn't done anything to warrant opening up at this point in time. So right now we're seeing other countries. We haven't earned it. Having Exactly. They're reaping the benefits of having approached this situation in the correct manner. The U.S. simply has not. Therefore, we should not open up whether we will or not. That remains to be seen. But I can tell you this. If we do, it's not going to be a pretty sight. You're going to see more deaths. You're going to see more cases. You're going to see more hospitals filled to capacity. It's not the right time at all. We're definitely not going to be able to do it. Just thinking about it, uh, recently uh, looking at the news, Orange County, like uh, this is all going to relate soon. Anyways. Americans are too privileged, as we can see. It's built in our society. They don't like to listen. Even in Orange County, yep. Orange County, there's been a, a lot of situations where individuals aren't wearing their mask to public places, and they feel as if it's unjust that they have to wear a mask. So with stupidity like that, it's clear to see we're, we're far behind everyone else when it comes to the safety and understanding of the inhabitants in the situations that they're going through. I just want to throw this out to you guys. What do you think the the U.S. sports world, I guess, if you want to call it that, what do you think they can take from the way the you know the NPB and the KBO have done to pick their brains a bit? Because what they're doing works. They're they're going to have fans while the NBA and everyone else is worried about being in a bubble. So what can they take out of the situation? Not I a mean, damn thing to me. What? Not a damn thing because there it's not apples to apples. It's simply not the same situation. The, the, the sports leagues are operating as a product of what the country has done to try to, to, try to uh, approach the coronavirus in the best manner possible, right? The, the Asian countries, they're doing uh, what they've earned, essentially, by social distancing, by quarantining, things of that nature. U.S., it's not apples to apples. There's really nothing you can take. It's almost like saying, um, what can I take? What can I personally, right? I play a lot of pickup basketball. 
what can I take away by watching LeBron James play basketball? Not a whole lot, man, because it's just not the same. Like, I can't really watch him and take a whole lot. I can say, oh, well, maybe I can try to dunk over everybody that I play, but that's just not going to work because I'm not blessed with the same sort of uh, resources that he is. So it, I don't really think you can really take away a whole lot. I mean, definitely agree with Reagan there. Is is just like the reason we're seeing like the Asian leagues being more successful is simply because of the situation around them and because the countries they're they're playing in have handled the situation way better. So, I mean, this is just a, a matter of circumstances for these leagues. I agree. All right. And with that, the sun is slowly setting here in whatever direction that is. I think that's west. I'm, I'm going to assume it's west because the west is the best coast. But that it is. I want to say thank you to Reagan for hopping on. I know it was a, it was a bit more uh, lively than we typically have, but I appreciate you coming on. Um, if people want to find out your stuff, where can they find you? Uh, so I, I'm on Twitter at uh, Reagan D. Griffin. I'm on Instagram at Reagan underscore Griffin underscore II. Uh, you, you can find my podcast, The Reagan Griffin Jr. Show, on Apple uh, Podcasts, on Spotify. Another podcast that I do with some friends, Hoop and Holler, that's on podcast, Apple Podcasts and Spotify as well, man. Um, but I encourage all your audience, man, keep listening to y'all, man. All y'all are very intelligent dudes, got your heads on straight, great sports fans. Uh, I, I don't know you, Jarrell, personally, but just based on this uh, on this interaction, you seem like a really fun person. I'm not just saying that just because you're an Eagles and Lakers fan. <laughs> 50% saying that because you're an Eagles and Lakers fan. But, hey, you know, also great lively conversation, man. I love what y'all are doing here. Shout outs. Appreciate it. Y'all make sure to follow him on all his platforms. Thanks for coming out. And, of course, it was an amazing podcast again. As always, it always is a an amazing podcast. And – Make sure to follow us on at Podcast Bricks on Twitter and at Shooting Bricks Podcast on Instagram for all the news concerning the Shooting Bricks Podcast. And with that, I'm Jerry Castillo. I'm Daniel Huynh. Joining us, it's your boy, Relly Rail. I'm Reagan Griffin Jr., man. And we will see you guys next week.